Thanks for joining me today on today's Hydrogen Podcast. With me is Matt Murdoch, founder and CEO of Raven SR. Raven, F Raven SR is revolutionizing the way the world uses waste. They take any organic waste and convert it to clean hydrogen and synthetic Fisher Trops fuels through their patented steam CO2 reforming process. So the big questions in the energy industry today are, how is hydrogen the primary driving force behind the evolution of energy? Where is capital being deployed for hydrogen projects globally? And where are the best investment opportunities for early adopters who recognize the importance of hydrogen? I will address the critical issues and give you the information you need to deploy capital. Those are the questions that will unlock the potential of hydrogen, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Paul Rodden, and welcome to the Hydrogen Podcast. Okay, welcome back. Today I am joined with Ray, uh, today I'm joined by Matt Murdoch, the founder and CEO of Raven SR. Matt's an experienced leader in oil and gas and energy, and he holds a degree in economics and government from Georgetown University. And capitalizing on his strong operations background, is positioning Raven SR to have a global impact on waste management. Welcome, Matt. It is great to have you here. Paul, it is a pleasure to see you again. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Absolutely. So to start off, can you tell us a little bit about your background? What led you to start Raven SR and what your company specializes in? Yeah, no, I, yeah, it's, it's interesting because the background goes back so much further. I think I've talked to you before is that you know, my great, great grandfather actually was the inventor of the, uh, the steam powered tractor, which is on the, the wall behind me in California and eventually it became Caterpillar Incorporated and moved on. And my own background is, you know, I've lived in Africa for two, nearly 20 years doing development and projects there, came back here to Wyoming, um, got involved in oil and gas and Dr. Galloway, who was my second cousin, contacted me and said, you know, why are we converting all that flared gas to fuels? And I said, what are you talking about? And he, uh, you know, we got to talking and I said, this sounds amazing. And his focus had always really been mostly on eliminating waste, kind of as a waste management perspective, sitting in Wyoming, sitting here, you know, with the oil and gas industry and fuels focus. I said, man, we can move this into a new direction. And so we started to, and uh, one thing led to another. And eventually in 2018, we purchased all of his assets and bought the company. He was kind of getting to the point where he was ready to move on. And so we purchased the assets and created Raven at that point. And it's just been slow, slow going, but cooking in the background and getting traction now. That's, that's so great. Yeah, I remember you telling me about your, was it your great-grandfather? Yeah. We were starting up Caterpillar right. and how just that has continued on to be this innovative family line, really. I think it's amazing. So in 2018, you purchase all the assets from Galloway's company. You've created SR. You've got your patented process. Can you give us kind of a, just a quick overview of the process of producing hydrogen from waste? And can you talk about your specific methodology for the clean energy that you're creating. Again, not giving away any, any secret sauce here, but just kind of that, that high 30,000 foot overview. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and Dr. Galloway began this, you know, as I said, back in the 1990s, they had several commercial systems and it was primarily just kind of as a, a green alternative to incineration. As we know with incineration and combustion processes that involve oxygen in any part of the process, there's going to be pollutants, particulate matters, noxes and soxes. 
And it's just also inefficient, right? Because you're burning, if you will, part of your feedstock to generate some of that heat. Right. And Dr. Galloway, very big on the environment, big, very big on what's really good engineering and good engineering should be efficient. And so we designed this process of steam CO2 reforming where we actually use the steam and CO2. It's low atmospheric. We exclude oxygen from the process. It's reductive chemistry. We break up the feedstock and put it into our first stage reformer. And then over a period of time, it does gasify. It becomes, you know, we break up the solids into kind of a raw syngas. That raw syngas then goes and gets polished in our second reformer. And by the time we're done in our second reformer, prior to water gas shift, prior to any other processes, we're already at about 60% hydrogen in that syngas. So, you know, as I tell people, we make syngas really well. We make a really good syngas, which is that building block that you can then use for Fischer-Tropsch fuels, hydrogen, methanation. You know, there's so many different directions you can take from that syngas. But we, you know, we focus on doing that through a non-combustion process. We don't use catalysts. We operate at a low atmosphere. And it gives us the ability to, it takes a little bit longer maybe on the cooking side, but it gives us the ability to get a really high quality syngas in a way that is awesome for the environment. And, you know, I love that. When, when I was really starting to dive into hydrogen market, I had no idea what, you know, I had heard syngas before from being an oil and gas, but the Fischer-Tropsch part of that, I had never heard of before. Yeah. And it, it's blowing my mind to learn more about what that actually is. It's what, and correct me if I'm wrong, it is, it's lighter and more energy dense than traditional fuels. Is that yeah, that's I mean? correct. I mean, the syngas, you know, we're looking at, for example, so if you look at the syngas and that's S-Y-N-G-A-S, that's primarily hydrogen and about carbon monoxide. And so it's not a synthetic fuel to be really clear which then goes into the Fischer-Tropsch reactor or the water gas shift, depending on if you're going to go to renewable diesel or sustainable aviation fuel or into hydrogen. That syngas is good at building block. But when you go into the Fischer-Tropsch reaction and you develop your synthetic fuels that way, it is. It's lighter. It's got more energy to the molecule. It, it, it's much cleaner. You have no sulfurs. Talk about sulfur-free. It burns cleaner. So it's a really as a as a synthetic fuel, it's really superior, which is one of the reasons why we see governments around the world and, and groups going into sustainable aviation fuel, because we're trying to find ways that we can have a lighter fuel with more power that's cleaner. And it it's, it's a great project. And it, you know what, what makes it even, even more amazing, really, is the fact that you're taking your, your feedstocks waste. Yeah. To, to be able to create such a clean fuel and even furthermore into the hydrogen space too, but to take it from waste, I think is really what makes, what separates this new hydrogen generation from any of the other transitions in history. Yeah. You're actually eliminating waste. People have been working on it for a long time, you know, and we're still perfecting and getting better and better. So it's, you know, it's a, it's an uphill battle, but I mean, waste is messy. It really is. I mean, the number of organic compounds and chemicals that can be found, you know, is there a bowling ball in there? Is there a mattress in there? You know, there's so many things on MSW or waste in general that really make it messy. So, you know, we, we can process, you know, the nice thing about Galloway's process is he developed it so we can work with pretty much any carbonaceous waste. So as I tell people, you know, we can process that Chinese takeaway meal with the styrofoam container and the plastic fork and the biogenics all at the same time. We don't have to separate it out. And that gives us an ability to 
And then, you know, part of the chemistry that we operate, it gives us that ability to be a little bit more fleet and handle different compounds that other processes haven't been able to. So speaking of that, then, what's, what is your view then on the economics of the waste to hydrogen model? I think it's a great one. I mean, especially, you know, when you're looking at a system that, you know, people consider waste. I'm afraid of the day when people start realizing that waste could actually be something as an asset. You know, don't tell your don't tell your listeners because I mean, you know, when we can have the ability to still go into a landfill, take their waste, and convert it into a fuel, and literally solve two problems at the same time, both cleaning up on the landfill side and producing the clean fuel, is is great. And you know, we are a non-combustion process, but if you think about it, we can now site ourselves already at an industrial location. So permitting is easier and everybody has waste everywhere. So we can work on providing local fuels in a local area without having to transport the fuel a really long distance because, you know, every major city has a landfill. So we could actually produce fuel locally off of the waste from that very community and then feed into the market, which, you know, decarbonizes the economy further, provides less expensive fuel, creates jobs. So there's a lot of advantages to it that I think are going to be explored further and further as time comes on. I don't know if you heard uh, one of the recent podcasts that I did, but I was talking with just an investor who had sent in a question online and he kind of just, the first part of his question just said, why, why are we you know, trying to transport hydrogen through all these pipelines and everything? Why don't we just set up and, and create hydrogen at the, at, you know, where it's going to be used as the source? Exactly. Said, well, guess what? <laughs> <laughs> People are doing that. So that's a really right. good insight. Yeah, it's uh, important. I mean, I think to your point again, it's just you know to produce that fuel locally. You know, it, it just it solves so many problems at the same time that I think it, it's a win. You know, I mean, there's always going to be an instance where maybe you have a larger landfill someplace and you want to put it into a pipeline or put sure. it on the rail. Yeah, that works. But from another perspective of you know, how do you develop community, build community, strengthen the economy, and actually take care of the neighborhoods you're driving through? I mean, if by providing clearing and cleaner emissions, we're actually helping a lot of neighborhoods that are financially struck because they're struggling. They're often poor neighborhoods happen to be in industrial areas. So we can actually clean that air at the same time and try to bring some other justice into the issue. Perk after perk for this setup. And I, I what I think is also happening is it's kind of when I was doing a lot of research earlier on, it seemed like everyone was talking about the logistics of infrastructure with mm -hmm. this. And this really kind of takes that and turns it on its head. Right. You don't have to worry about building out this massive pipeline infrastructure to support, uh, you know, fueling stations and everything else. Now you have a different kind of model where you just set up these hubs that's that right. you, can, you can develop. And now, now there's your source. That's it. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. And as you know, Hyzon Motors is one of our investors. I mean, we obviously will sell molecule to anybody. But when George Gu and I first met, who was a founder of Hyzon, that was our discussion is like, let's bring this closer and build a model that doesn't have to lay out a gigantic network that has to be maintained. Yeah. Is to build a model where you have a client that has 50 trucks, let's provide the fuel locally. And the nice thing about that is as we produce that fuel, say for larger vehicles in the Heisen situation, for instance, one of the biggest disadvantages or one of the biggest obstacles to the hydrogen economy has been the availability of hydrogen. As you know, right. I mean, detour, but 
you know, just recently the hurricanes that hit your region, those large um, hydrogen producers, they had contracts that they had to provide hydrogen to the refinery. And so fueling stations in California are now not getting the molecule because of right. pre-existing contracts. And if we come back and we say, let's produce this locally and do it in a way that builds out, and I'm servicing, say, 50 large trucks, for instance, but now I have excess hydrogen, you living in that neighborhood could say, hey, I'll, I'll buy a hydrogen car now because there's actually hydrogen in the fueling station. Right. And it gives the ability for the economy to actually spread outwards into the four-wheel or the passenger vehicle economy as well. Right. And that actually kind of dives into the next question about the price point. Where, 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 do you, where are you at currently with your price point? And does that include any of the credits or subsidies, any other uh, aid from the government in your price point? No, that's a great question, Paul. You know, I think it's difficult because hydrogen is not yet a fully sophisticated, mature market. With OPEC and oil and gas, you could literally go someplace and dial in the number and you know what the price is trading at. The hydrogen economy is definitely different. Everybody is very wrapped, uh, is focused on what's the carbon intensity, what's the carbon life cycle of this fuel. Yep. So obviously, the lower the carbon intensity, the better the price. And so, you know, the contracts that we are working on is like we try to take into consideration is like we might be creating that credit in the sense that we're building it or converting that waste in there, but the credit actually is, gets paid at the fueling stations, right? So right. we obviously want the fueling station to have some advantage to that. And, you know, there's no reason why we should take it all or they should take it all. So, you know, our pricing right now, our costs are, are very competitive. We have several offtake agreements signed. We have others that are coming out. Price changes a little bit depending on how, how low the CI is. You know, our project in California is going to be somewhere between zero and negative 20. Um, so it's carbon negative, which is great. Um, but our, our goal is to be competitive in non-LCFS states, you know, especially with the model of there's a tipping fee a landfill is receiving and they pay us some of the money back. And then we can actually lower the, what our costs and operating expenses are. We want to be competitive with SMR and get it to a price where it could be green hydrogen and you can afford it in your vehicle. So, you know, I, I can't go into exact numbers because that changes obviously by market by market, but our costs are definitely very competitive. And uh, our vendors, the people are, the, the clients looking at our hydrogen are fairly impressed right now. And, you know, so many people do talk about the price point of hydrogen and SMR or anything else, but everything also involves feedstock prices. And so talking about SMR as being so cheap, well, gas has exploded. Natural gas prices have exploded. So if they're using that as their feedstock, that's going to push their price point up too. Exactly. That's a good call. You're one of the first I've heard, other than some of my meetings, to have made that. You're exactly right. And, you know, and I think that's the other element is like, you know, we have to look at those costs that come into it. And so many people then green their hydrogen through some sort of government project that it's really not a green molecule, but they've made it green because they bought a credit someplace. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That seems cheating a little bit, too. Right. Well, and I, it, it, with some of the people that I've worked with in the past, one is a, a very large oil and gas producer. They hate the colors. Right. They hate the colors because they're oil and gas, their color. So their colors blue and they don't like that because this green stuff over here isn't really green because no one's considering the full carbon life cycle impact of wind and solar farms and, and all of that. And that's one of the things that I do actually like about your technology is that you're not relying on wind farms 
solar farms, everything, correct me if I'm wrong, is in house, at least for the most part. So you really can control soup to nuts, your carbon impact on development. Yeah, that's one of our goals, you know, like on the project in Richmond, you know, we are going to still be buying a little bit of electricity off the grid just because economically it still works. But the goal is that, you know, we want to be able to be fully autonomous. If we have to use some of the slipstream hydrogen that we're producing to generate electricity, we'll do that as well. Because one, we want, you know, we want to be resilient to what's going on within the grid. Um, we see what's going on with the electricity grid globally, um, yeah. massive. And you and reference it, the oil and gas prices. And we see countries in Europe actually going back to diesel generators to get the right. burning coal. And ready. And I think the more we can be autonomous, it's better to your point. We can control the inputs. We can get it. It also gives us the ability, to your point, to really lower, lower that carbon life cycle. And the fuel then actually is greener but it gives us that ability to kind of be a little bit more independent of what's going on outside of the fence, if that makes sense. So all that being said, economies of scale, is that gonna help reduce the, that price point that is in flux? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think from the, our perspective, we know that as we go right now, our first system in there in California is gonna be processing about 70 wet tons of green waste. And we're gonna be producing about 5,000 kilos a day with a CI of zero to negative 15. I know that if we also double the size of a couple of pieces of equipment, we're not going to double our cost on the equipment. So that, you know, there's going to be that economies of scale. And so that's where I think, you know, once we get going further and faster and we're making real efforts to kind of strengthen our supply chain, making real efforts to build strategic relationships to build that out. When we get bigger, we're going to get prices that, are, like I said, competitive with SMR today at current oil and gas prices. And I think in a way that can be close and at the same time, cleaning up our neighborhoods at the same as well. Now, are you comfortable sharing what the, just your very first unit that's getting installed in California, the cost on that? Because I, I think there's a very interesting connection to be made between this first unit and the cost to drill an oil well. Ah, I hadn't even thought about that. No, we're, you know, we're upwards of above 25 million kind of final numbers are coming in now. It just depends. You know, we're our purse system. We're looking at a, a pressure doing a really serious compression on it as well. But one of our clients is looking for like 8,500 PSI. So we have all in additional compressors, first and second stage compressors and and hydrogen storage. So that's adding some cost. Plus global supply chain has been a real bear right now. Yeah. Um, we're pretty confident that we're going to get down much down closer to the 20 million on this cost. And then that pencils out, especially if you're generating your own electricity, especially if you're doing five or six tons of hydrogen a day, it, it can really pencil. And it, it'll, it, it, right now, I mean, without subsidies, without any loans, without anything, we're doing this first project entirely equity with our partners. It still, still has a good IRR. It's very attractive. And what I was um, intimating at with the oil and gas, it, I don't know what a DNC on on the wells that you were dealing with back in your day. When I was in oil and gas, it was close to $20 million for yeah. one well. I don't yeah. think a lot of people realize just how expensive it is to drill a well. And so if you can put in these modular units at roughly the same cost, that that really does give a nod to these modular units going into urban environments and creating a lot, a lot a lot of energy really the same cost compared to 
the oil and gas industry. Now, not to disparage any any wells out there right now, I think a hydrocarbon source is good for the hydrogen space. But in this case, in this scenario, especially dealing with California or urbanized environments, this is a beautiful solution where oil and gas just doesn't. Yeah, to be honest, Paul, I've never made that connection. That's great. It's a, you're absolutely correct. This is like putting a well. I mean, it, it's better than a well in the sense that, you know, we're also making their waste dis- disappear, you know. Right. But, so it's, yeah, I think that's a great comparison. I'm going to so, use it. <laughs> good. Please do. What type of technology needs to be refined in order to increase the efficiency of your process? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, our process is pretty efficient. We're always going to be tweaking it. You know, we're going to be filing additional patents and making improvements. You know, we're looking at, especially once we want to provide, we want to produce as much of the electricity on site as possible, getting the ability and seeing greater efficiencies of using our slipstream or even hydrogen to generate that electricity on board. I love right now, we have tail gases of a PSA system, there's still like 15% of the hydrogen coming out. So there's new technologies there that can pull that out at a, at a good capex so that we can increase our production. I think that's really going to be exciting. I talked to a couple of companies that have got new technology to pull that I, the hydrogen out of the tail gas of the PSA. I think just recuperating and then our process uses heat. So the better we can be at heat exchanging and getting that so be more and more efficient, I think that's going to be really exciting as well. We kind of talked about this a little bit earlier. And just to, to highlight it again, and also dive in maybe a little bit deeper, you've talked about your feedstock sources. Mm-hmm. And what's, what is the preferred source to achieve that maximum efficiency in your process? You said you can be indiscriminate. You can take in the styrofoam, the food, the plastics. It, it, are those solid materials just as good as saying a methane line coming right out of a landfill? What's is, is there one that's kind of better than the other? Yeah, I mean, for, to give you an idea, like a hundred and call it 160 MCF of nat gas is going to give you nearly 1,500 kilos of hydrogen a day. So I think. When you take that methane molecule and break it up, you already have two hydrogens. So that that's a really rich source, obviously. On the feed, on the solid feedstocks, plastics and other hydrocarbon sources, they have a lot of H's, and those H's become a lot of hydrogen. You know, but then the biogenics are a good source too. They they don't produce as much hydrogen. You know, one of the things that we like to tell people is we can process multiple different diverse wastes mixed together. So I don't have to separate them. We can put the banana peel in with the plastic bottle at the same time, which is a little unique. We then consistently have the same characterization of the syngas that we make, but the quantity changes by the feedstock as you're alluding to. So certain feedstocks are just gonna give you more hydrogen per ton than others. The banana peel doesn't produce as much as a plastic bottle. And so part of it is, and I think you alluded to this as well, is there is, I think in my mind, there has to be a larger discussion of green in the sense of we want to clean the environment. If we were to go to, say, West Africa, where I used to live, they have tons of solar power, but they have no water. If right. green hydrogen was only the hydrogen from electrolysis, that would be really unfair in that part of the world because right. one thing they have a ton of is black plastic blacks floating everywhere or the oceans or Southeast Asia with the amount of plastics floating around. Yeah. And if we were to clean that and turn it into clean fuels, 
there should be a green label that goes on that saying this is good for the environment. I agree. And I think you know that would produce a lot of hydrogen, and at the same time, it'd be cleaning the environment. So I think from the perspective of feedstocks, anything that's a little bit more hydrocarbon based has got more H's in it. We can work with that. But I think we also need to think broader on what we're trying to get to is partially cleaning the planet as well as getting clean fuels, right? Right. So now the Raven SR, they have a number of exciting announcements recently. Uh, the investment from the Ascent Hydrogen Fund, yeah. uh, which is run by David Wu. The strategic investment from Chevron and Atochu, amazing. And the joint venture that we've talked about with Hyzon to create the hydrogen production hubs. Can you elaborate on the partnership with Hyzon, what role that uh, Raven's going to play in that relationship? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are just, I mean, to take one step back, great partnerships on different verticals and each partner bringing a strength that's really good to our picture and helps in a lot of ways. And the Hyzon model is really great. And the number of projects that we're looking at with them is, is frankly global. I mean, I, I am in weekly conversations on projects around the world with them on places where we're looking at putting fleets in. And so, you know, our agreement's pretty simple. It's they can propose hubs to us, like they could get a contract with some fleet operator and they can come to us and say, hey, we didn't need hydrogen here. Can we do it here? And if we find that there's a good economic model and the feedstock that we need, then Hyzon has the opportunity to invest into that project and then take off some of those molecules that they can then incorporate into the trucking program that gives the fuel right there for those trucks. Yeah. Um, so no longer that, where am I going to get the hydrogen? And like we said earlier, they're driving green hydrogen. And I mean, not to go too far down the road, but for every mile you drive in a Hyzon truck with Raven hydrogen, the amount of avoided emissions and CO2, um, CO2 equivalent that you're saving is pretty spectacular because you're cleaning up a landfill or avoiding emissions over here, plus the clean emissions in the truck. But the, the arrangement's really nice. And then we, in turn, are having multiple projects from other areas. I can go back to them and say, oh, you need some trucks? Or, hey, does anybody need trucks? And then Hyzon comes along and says, hey, let's talk to these people about getting trucks. And that gives me a ready client to buy some of the hydrogen. I mean, yeah. it's, it's kind of funny because several years ago, we were looking still at 5,000 kilos at that Richmond location. And a year and a half ago, we were like, who's going to buy all that hydrogen? And today, it's all, it's all gone. Yeah. And I could probably double the size of it and still sell it all. The economy is growing. Hyzon's got some great models out there. They're talking to some amazing clients. And when you can wrap that all together and provide clean hydrogen and clean fuel, people want it. It's, I'm excited. So it's for us, it's, it's, it's a big partnership and we scratch each other's backs. So uh, last question. It's a big one. With, with the major cash injection that you've had, the strategic partnerships that you've got, and you're developing, what's next for Raven? Well, we're hoping to get it. Yeah. I mean, we are, the economy is moving so much, so fast. We did a good capital raise on a round A, great strategic partners. We're going to be going to a round B very soon, very soon, probably beginning of next year. Um, we've actually got some funds that are going to come in, hopefully in a pre-B, because we have projects that are lining up in the pipeline that we really want to get ahead of, start getting purchasing on long lead items. We are you know, intending to get a gas-to-gas -gas project, kind of like you were alluding to earlier. We have a gas-to-gas -gas system that it just leaves off the solids. We want to have on the ground by the beginning of the second quarter next year. And then we look at having our Richmond project on the ground by Q1 
quarter three of next year. And I want by then to be able to have equipment in the inventory so that when that first system hits the ground and everybody now finally believes that we can do what we say we can do, I want to be able to start satisfying the market and going into multiple other locations, multiple projects at a time, kind of start leapfrogging. And so we're in conversations right now in Europe, Asia, Australia, North America, the entirety of North America. And so these, these projects are going to be pretty big. And the partnerships that are coming along are really exciting. It's, it's really humbling, actually. So That's, that's great. I, I love the success that you're having so much. And as, as long as you can promise me that one of those hubs is going to be Houston, we'll, we're, we're going to be good to go. I want to see <laughs> hydrogen built out in this state so much. Well, let's do it. I'd love to hear All right. So <laughs> anyone wants more information about Raven SR, where can they go? www.ravensr.com. We have a good website there. And then there's emails on it. They can, we have LinkedIn and some Facebook pages and actually a Twitter page. So we've got a really good media team that's out there pushing and promoting. And if anybody has questions, we work really hard to answer. It might take a little while, but we work really hard to get them all answered. That's fantastic. Matt. Thank you so much for being with us today. It's been a great interview. It's always great talking to you. Take care. Great blessings in the future. Good luck. All of uh, your future ventures. Thank you, Paul. Love your podcast. I love, I've been listening to multiple episodes. So keep Appreciate up the work. I'll talk to you later. Hey, this is Paul. I hope you liked this podcast. If you did and want to hear more, I'd appreciate it if you would either subscribe to this channel on YouTube or connect with your favorite platform through my website at www.thehydrogenpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. I very much appreciate it. Have a great day.